Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who has written for Bleacher Report, The Washington Examiner, and Nesson.com, SB Nation, and The Cauldron. For three years, he served as the lead Major League Baseball writer for the Sports Daily, and from 2014 through 2017, hosted his own interview-based sports history podcast, Profiles in Sports. He's also contributed to multi-saber book projects, including the most memorable moments in history of the San Diego Padres, Wrigley Field, Old Comiskey Park. He's an author who has appeared on Sports Talk New York, to talk about his Mets and Tens book. He returns today to talk about his latest, the New York Mets all-time All-Stars, the best players at each position for the Amazings. It's always great to welcome Brian Wright to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Mark. I'm doing well. Hope you are, too. Great to be on with you again. Uh, trying to stay positive during these tough times, but hanging in there. I love that. Uh, Colin Inter, that was great. It's a lot of fun for me, for sure. So this book is a little different. As Mets and Tens was 100% your idea, um, for this project you were approached by Lions Press to do this. How does this process change when the inspiration for one book is self-driven as opposed to when you're given the subject matter? Uh, I don't think it, it didn't change much for me. Um, you know, it wasn't, I guess, the only pro- difference in the process uh, that was different is that I didn't have to, you know, reach out to someone and try to pitch the idea. Um, you know, with Lions Press, I was fortunate that all I had to do was kind of sell myself in a sense, like, hey, I can do this, and this is why, and this is how I would kind of tackle um, this all-time team. And, and, and as I talked through, you know, the last few months about this book, there were a lot of different ways to approach um, creating an all-time team, not only with the, the roster structure, but also, you know, the c- criteria used to select it. So, um, it was a little bit easier, uh, if, if there is an easy way to write a book, um, to get someone to tell, to say, hey, we have this idea, we'd like you to do it, as opposed to with Mets and Tens, like thinking of a way to sell an idea to a publisher. Right. So you mentioned the, the process. So what was the process of putting together an all-star roster of Mets, and what was the criteria you used to compare the players to, to be able to, to make them make the roster? Yeah, so first, the structure of the team. Um, I, I made it a 30-man roster, and also it was based on position. So um, I couldn't, like, you know, if Jeff McNeil was on the team, and I'll say he's not, but, like, if Jeff McNeil was on the team, um, you know, you couldn't, like, basically put a utility player and just say, hey, I'm putting him in there, he can play wherever. I, I was kind of given the um, one limitation was, like, I had to do it by position. Um, but I had a 30-man roster, a manager, two coaches who were the honorable mention managers, uh, a GM and an owner. Um, and in regards to which positions or how many I had each position I had, I went with some flexibility, specifically with pitchers. Uh, I went with 10 total, but I used seven starters, uh, just given the fact that there have been so many great Mets starters, I didn't want to slight a few. And even then, I feel like I slighted a few. But um, <laughs> Uh, and then as regards, in regards to selecting the players for a specific position, uh, I made sure to consider players at the position they played the most as a Met. Uh, so, um, you know, for instance, uh, Edgardo Alfonso, I judged him as a second baseman because he barely played more games as a second baseman. Um, 
And Michael Conforto, although he's played right field, I considered him as a left fielder because he technically, as of right this moment, he's played more games than left field. Uh, as far as the criteria, uh, there are a lot of different factors, a big, big mixture of a bunch of factors that I used uh, to, to make the team. Obviously, traditional statistics, uh, sabermetric statistics specifically, uh, when I wanted to highlight someone relative to other eras or emphasize, you know, players' defensive ability. Um, sabermetrics are also helpful in balancing out the eras, as I said, kind of like for ERA+, plus, WAR, OPS+, plus, run save, range factor, things of that nature. Um, impact on the franchise weighed heavily. Um, I kind of had the, the notion of can you tell the story of the Mets' success without talking about this person? Um, you know, you, or in a sense, you have to talk about this person if you want to talk about the history of the Mets. Um, that was a determining factor sometimes, big game performances. Uh, if a player helped contribute heavily to a championship team or a team that had a long postseason run, um, single-season records or met, met career records. Um, so it was a mixture in, of both statistical evaluation and kind of that overall eye test. I tried not to base my team off any one quality in particular, but instead made sure to use all those different factors. And if it was a close call between a couple players, at least one or, or maybe a couple of those factors would determine who got in and who didn't. So, uh, as I said, a mixture of criteria and, and as I said at the beginning, something that makes this book so wonderful or an idea like this so wonderful is that what my criteria and what my choices are could be very different uh, in some act, aspects than for somebody else. So, you know, it's a, it's a, like Mets and Tens, it's a, it's, a, it's a way to start a conversation and certainly not end one. Absolutely. So you're born two years after the Mets last won the World Series. So you have a very different viewpoint of someone my age. How did you research the players that you had never seen play? And if I remember correctly um, from the, the last time you were on, your favorite Met of all time is Tom Seaver, who was out of the game before you were even born, right? Yeah, I was born in 87, and he, I guess if you want to count his comeback in June of 86, he, he finished just before I was born. Um, so, it, 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 yeah, it adds a little bit of, of uh, a different perspective on my behalf. Um, and some people want to say, oh, you weren't alive for that. You know, how can you make that judgment? I, my response was, I'm like, you know, we have Civil War historians. <laughs> I, they weren't around the Civil War. So, you know. um, so it, it is a little bit different. Um, I, you know, I have a, use a lot of reading. I use a lot of uh, other, you know, human sources, my father being one of them who's been a fan since 62, um, just people, connections that I have to kind of, you know, bounce questions off them to talk about some of the early, early days of the Mets. Um, and just general kind of, you know, watching old, older games and kind of taking all that into account. Um, and I try to, and, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, naturally comes out. You, you do have a natural bias toward the era in which you grew up. I mean, so I feel like I have a little bit of a slant toward like the 90s and the 2000s teens. Um, and you, you do take that into account and try to, you know, balance that out and say, hey, you know, let's, let's take your, your bias out of there uh, and try to make it as much of a level playing field as possible. So uh, I had to, yeah, I had to deal with, with kind of that aspect of a lot of, uh, a lot of players played when I wasn't even alive. And it's funny because the guy, when people ask me, like, who stood out to you in terms of a player you just didn't think was going to make the team, but he actually did. And the player that I, and, and usually it would be a player that maybe I never, never saw, but it's, it's Daniel Murphy, 
And that's weird because obviously I saw Danny Murphy's entire career and I never, I don't want to say I appreciated it at the time, um, but you kind of, I guess when I watched, I didn't take into account all, you know, all that his good qualities before, you know, he went off in that great, amazing surge of October 2015. I didn't take really take into um, as much appreciation to his ability to consistently get, you know, 30 doubles a year and 150 plus hits. So, uh, so it's kind of interesting when you talk about not ha- not having seen a lot of players and maybe that obscures or that takes away from your appreciation of someone. And the guy that, like, I just, in my when I initially tried to draw up this team, Daniel Murphy's a guy I just didn't think would make it and he wound up making it anyway. It's interesting because there are names, big names, that played second base for the Mets. And, you know, when Murphy made it, you, you could make the argument maybe for Felix Mion, you know, maybe Alomar, who didn't have great years here, maybe by Ager. But it's interesting. You're right. And when you look at, you know, Murphy's body of work here and especially that World Series, um, it, it, you make a good case for him as well. I would so, think that one of the players from your time that you had maybe a bias towards would be Piazza over Gary Carter. Was there any situation where you needed to separate yourself from Piazza a little bit? No, not at all. I mean, I think Piazza, if you take into account all of it, you take into account all of his years at the Met, um, seven years, um, how how much he changed that team. Uh, yeah, I get it. Gary Carter that trade over to the Mets in '84 and and was the last piece to the '86 championship winning team. But Piazza changed that attitude, and then you add in the fact that the numbers that he put up um, over seven years maybe wasn't as good in the last couple of years. But Gary Carter. And I hate sliding him because I love him because, and also because when I first became a Mets fan, I became in love with the 86 video and Gary Carter was my guy. Uh, and then I transitioned to Mike Piazza. So I had some affinity for catchers for some reason. Um, but, but Gary Carter had, you know, maybe you could say two or three good years. First two years were really, were great. And then he tailed off. So he was, you know, um, so the, the accumulation of, uh, his stats, um, much favors Piazza a lot more than Carter, even though both had tremendous impact uh, in the fortunes of the, of the franchise. So looking at this current team, which player do you think has the greatest possibility five years from now displacing one of your starters? Not your reserves, but one of your starters in the book and why? Um, I, I talk about Jeff McNeil. I talked about him earlier. Uh, the only problem is what position right. you put him at, and you don't want to, you know, if you play third base for five more years, I don't think that's enough to to potentially uh, overtake um, to David Wright. Um, you know, it, Jacob DeGrom is on the team, of course, and maybe I would say he moves up a notch on the starting pitcher list. Not that, not that the list that I have of starting pitchers, um, aside from Tom Seaver, of course, is ranked based on who's the, you know, one through seven, if you want to go based by starting pitcher. But maybe Jacob DeGrom could be the number two starter, and I could very much see that in a couple, uh, couple of years, and maybe people think he is already the number two uh, starting pitcher in Mets history, which is just remarkable considering where he was when he started in, in 2014. Um, it, it, that's, the most, that's interesting because, you know, uh, Pete Alonso, if you want to say in five years, would he be more of an impactful player than Keith Hernandez? Um, very well could be. Uh, the guy that the guy that I might I might surprise people when I say this, but Michael Conforto, if he ha- if he performs up to the level that he did the last um, the last year, and also if he stays with the Mets and signs an extension, um, you never know. He could be in you know you could be an outfielder if you wanted to kind of rearrange the team and put him in left field. Although he might be playing more in right field, so uh, it's interesting to think of who who would be. Um, you know, who could potentially be the team down the line. But I would say Pete Alonso has the best chance, 
um, specifically also, especially if he leaves the Team World Series. But Conforto is an interesting case uh, because of where he's played and, and uh, how kind of maybe he gets a little bit mis, uh, uh, maybe forgotten about in terms of how, how good he's been over his first few years. He's, he's been inconsistent, I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, but if you look at his numbers uh, for the first few years, um, one of the few players that have hit over 25 home runs for four, four seasons. Right. So um, you got to give him some consideration for being a little bit higher uh, and, and maybe a starter on the team. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot with a, a few quickie questions of things that aren't in the book. All right? Okay. Relate at your best possible Mets roster. All right? So that team's going to go and play. Who's the play-by-play guy and who's the team uh, color commentator? Oh my goodness! I had a, a, I'm not trying to, to, to put off my answer, but I had Wayne Randazzo. Uh, 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 Wayne Randazzo and I talked, and he said, "Oh, you should have a uh, all broadcast. You should have like you know the best uh, broadcasters uh, as part of the book." And then I told him later, I said, you know, "Maybe in my next edition, I'll add a, a broadcasters wing." But it's too hard to select uh, uh, my favorite announcer or the best announcer in Mets history uh, or the best group of announcers. But Bob, Bob Murphy is the, the, the gold standard in terms of Mets history, so he goes as the play-by-play guy. Uh, as far as the color person, um, you know, I, Keith Hernandez I, I love in the booth. He's entertaining. But Ron Darling is, is just so uh, – he's just so wonderful with the points that he makes, and he's so articulate in how he presents them. Um, but I think he's just really – he's really elevating his status uh, in, in Mets history. He, he, he was great as a pitcher, uh, but he's really uh, – him, he's taken himself like a notch higher uh, and, and really elevated his presence, presence among uh, the fan base. So he would be my color person, I guess, if I were to take a, a, a color commentator. Uh, that's, a tough, that's a tough one because we've been very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to, to Ralph Kiner and Lindsey Nelson, as you, as you certainly know, uh, and you know, Tim McCarver yep. w- was with us and was great. Tom uh, Sieber. Fran Healy. Um, yeah, it's so many good ones. Yeah, and, for sure. You know, now we, have, of course, have Gary Cohen and Happy Rose, and we're spoiled in that aspect. No uh, question. Even, bo- even, even both of those, I think, might defer to, would defer to Bob Murphy as the all-time play-by-play guy. Which uniforms are they wearing? Uh, the classic white uniforms, pinstripes. <laughs> okay. And- I, I, I feel, I, I, gosh, it, it's, it's uh, really, I didn't realize how much of a date debate it would spark, talking about the black <laughs> uniforms. And I go on social media and I make some kind of reference to the black uniforms. And it, you know, it is, it's like a firework. Even the out of the world <laughs> uniforms from 1999. Or, or the Los Mets, yeah. Those, those, we're not doing those, right? The Mercury Mets, yeah, for no. sure. All right, and lastly, the, not in the book, which of the three fields are they playing? Polo Ground, Shea, or City? It's got to be Shea. It's got to be Shea. I, uh, you know, it's, it's the place they obviously played the longest. It's uh, the most the, the stadium I still associate with the Mets, of course. Uh, I love City Field. I've grown to really love it. Uh, and maybe in you know 20 years, it might grow on me to the point where I prefer it more to Shea Stadium. Uh, but it's still, it's got to be Shea Stadium. It's unbelievable because you know what? And and you're younger, but like we, you know, Shea Stadium became a dump. We we hated it. It was a dump. But now, you know, you ask, you know. You just said it. You know, if you're putting the best Met team where they play in at Shea Stadium, and, and I bet you 90% of Met fans would probably say it, as beautiful as City Field is, it, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Even on the PS4, I find myself using Shea Stadium a lot, so it's pretty funny. Yeah, um, I did, yeah. yeah no, I did that as well. It, it's interesting you talk about that, because I went to Fenway Park a couple of years ago for the first time ever, and 
I bet if you were, if I were to go to Fenway Park, say in 1995, in the same age I am now, I might say, "Oh my gosh, this place, this place needs to go. It's it's so old." And I know they've renovated it somewhat, but when I went there, I felt the nostalgia yeah. that like the new stadiums don't have. I know they try to give you the nostalgic feel, but obviously it's it's modernized. Um, so it was very interesting to go there and go. You know, I was cramped, but it it really felt kind of fun to be cramped in a weird sense. And it was fun to have that pole in your way. So it, it, that obstructs your view. It was like, I miss the, those, it, you, you kind of get nostalgic again. And I guess maybe that's why we have that affinity towards Chase Stadium. Yeah, so cool watching uh, Friday night, the Dropkick Murphys streaming out of Fenway Park. Uh, yeah, got you, yeah. you amped up for baseball. All right, Brian, where's the best place for people to get this book right now? The best place, um, they can certainly go to Amazon. They can, uh, they can go to all the you know, independent uh, bookstore, online booksellers. They have them as well. Uh, over the past few months, I've been donating a portion of each signed copy sold directly through me to uh, COVID-19 relief in the New York City area. At first, I uh, donated to the NYC, NYC COVID-19 Response and Impact Fund and most recently uh, gave to Hospital for Special Surgery. Uh, cur- and currently, I'm donating $5 of each sale to New York Presbyterian Hospital in Queens. So if anyone's interested in a signed copy, uh, you can reach out to me through my Twitter handle, at BrianRaid86, and I'm happy to send you a signed copy. Awesome, Brian. Thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, thanks so much, Mark. Be well. All right, Brian Wright, author of the New York Mets All-Time All-Stars, the best players at each position for the Amazons, as you said, available definitely, you know, given to charity as well. Always a good thing.